To go big, go e-commerce. Learn how to become a digitally powered business with the region's top e-commerce platforms. Free trainings, seller subsidies, and various sales support await. Hashtag Let's Do It Online by registering at go-ecommerce.my today. This micro and SME's e-commerce campaign is brought to you by Pinjana with support by MDEC. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to MSP. When the world grows dark, people look skywards, searching for a hero who will save them from the powers that threaten their destruction. No, we're not talking about MSP's Matt Armitage. As far as I know, the only thing he's saved is an old wrapping paper. It's time for another episode of MSP, Science is Slick. Remind us why science is slick. Hey, Richard. Well, you know, firstly, when the apocalypse comes and there's no way you can buy wrapping paper, who are people going to turn to? <laughs> Obviously, the man with a warehouse full of mouse-chewed Christmas wrapping, my friend. Anyway, uh, failed business ventures aside, um, Science is Slick is where we uh, tackle and introduce some of the science and technology stories that you might have missed that are going to help shape the world of tomorrow. Mm. And this week, we have a bucket full of artificial intelligence, as well as some interesting stories about money laundering and dementia. Ah, AI is a good place to start. Um, hitting the go button now. Well, glad you approve. You know, Go is where we're starting. So the ancient board game Go has become a bit of a battleground for artificial intelligence because it's a lot more complex than chess. So the sheer complexity of the predictions that it uh, requires make it very hard for even supercomputers to match the skill of the best human players. Now, that was until 2017, when Google's DeepMind-powered supercomputer AlphaGo uh, beat the reigning human champion, a guy called Lisa Doll. Since then, uh, Go is about as difficult for an advanced AI as tic-tac-toe is for you and me. Probably harder for you than me. Well, sure, because I'm simultaneously playing it in a quantum realm against the antimatter rich. Um, <laughs> but that is essentially what's happening with Go. To make it more of a challenge, researchers at Shanghai's Jiao Tong University have come up with a quantum version of the game. Couldn't you have just started the show off with something uh, a little bit simpler? Well... I'll admit that I don't fully grasp this one either. So I'm going to uh, quote liberally from the source article in New Scientist. So apparently you can play Quantum Go on an ordinary board. Each player places two stones at once on their turn. Now this gives them a superposition that represents two possible locations of a single quantum stone. So when a new stone is put uh, next to either of those locations where the stone might be, the quantum state of a pair of entangled photons is measured, you know, just to make it simple, uh, to determine the original stone's location. A pair of entangled photons is measured. Like I told you, I don't really understand it all. Uh, it seems like an awful lot of trouble to go to for a board game, but uh, then, you know, a game company turned cones of Dunshire into a real thing. So, you know, <laughs> what do I know? Uh, once the photons are measured, you know, you define the stone's actual position. Uh, it collapses that superposition 
and the second stone is removed. Mm. Whether the second stone is the first stone, but you know what I mean. Mm. As well as uh, simply making the game more complex, you can also add in weighted biases as well. So players can choose to adjust the probability of their quantum stone appearing in one location or another. So it doesn't actually have to be a 50-50 decision. So it becomes a game about hidden information. Yeah, uh, games like some of the poker variants, uh, Texas Hold'em, for example, also rely on hidden information. And these are games that AI has actually already learned to beat. Mm. So adjusting the probability allows one player to have more information than their opponent about where that stone is likely to end up. And that requires the machine to be able to plan for uh, a lot more potential outcomes. Now, there isn't an AI that's been trained to play this yet. Uh, The game has been devised. The human players are learning it. And the team in Shanghai is planning to start training an AI to see if it can get to a point where it can beat the human players. I'm guessing this is mostly about sheer computing power. How much information uh, the system can process? Is that the best case scenario for developing AI? Well, as the New Scientist piece points out with comments from uh, a Dr. Mike Cook, who's part of the game research group at London's Queen Mary University, there is also a need to start training AI to do the simpler tasks and also to figure out why AI is actually so bad at figuring out those simple tasks. Mm. Now, one of the things we've mentioned on the show before is that AI has trouble recognizing things like stop signs, which is something that's hampering the development of autonomous cars. Because the simple phrase and process of uh, stopping, which is second nature to us, is something that's actually so complex we haven't found a way to break it down in a way that AI systems can understand it in that kind of real-time and adaptive sense. Last week we were talking about selfies, Matt. Yeah, and I made the point that we're probably close to the point where AI will be able to create photorealistic selfies for us in any location, wearing any clothing, in any pose, and of course, you know, having the perfect body and complexion. Uh, Apparently, they're using me for the model. Of course. Uh, We talk about the uh, future imitating art. Um, Not that these shows are art. Certainly, that last joke wasn't. Um, Seems I was only uh, looking about a a week into the future. So researcher Lee Kian Ma of KU Leuven, uh, a technology university in Belgium, has come uh, up with a way to use AI to turn your selfies into proper posed snaps. The photos are essentially digitally manipulated so that it reposes the taker so that rather than standing there with your arms outstretched uh, holding the camera, you're reposed within the picture itself. So it's an unselfie camera? Yeah, so essentially it makes the photo look as though someone else has taken it where you're the, the, the model or the subject. So that's great if you're on your own somewhere because, you know, there's always that risk that if you ask someone to take their uh, picture, they might run away with the mm-hmm. camera. Or if you want to look uh, more like those Insta celebs who uh, have their own social media camera crew uh, attending and following them everywhere they go. Just out of interest, do people ever ask you to take photos for them? Actually, they they do. For some reason, as a foreigner in Malaysia, I mean, you might have got this too, um, people think that I'm somehow more trustworthy. So I do get asked quite often. (laughs) Whereas someone who knew you would never take that risk. 
Yeah, I mean, they'd know that I'm a serial thief and mm. a very fast runner. Um, I was actually once very confused when someone who had recognised my voice uh, from this show asked to have a photo taken with me instead of just handing me the, the camera to take a picture of them. Um, it was like I was some kind of circus sideshow um, because, as I always say, I have the perfect face for radio. Uh, unselfie cameras, Matt. Unselfie cameras. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, the AI has been built with a database of uh, fashion stock images, so it has hundreds of different poses in it. Uh, when you process a selfie uh, using the AI, it matches your pose to uh, the ones that most closely resemble uh, poses in its database, and it recreates the image using that pose or a composite of those poses. Question. How does it um, overcome things like artefacts and uh, pixelation? Well, it's a, it's a learning AI, so it's not just trained and then it, it just uh, activates on what it's learned. It continues to learn as it, it goes along. So uh, each time it makes a mistake, it, uh, mistake, rather, it gains a little more insight on how to avoid or correct similar mistakes in the future. It's not perfect, but users who have tested the prototype are reportedly a lot happier with the results than uh, other systems, similar systems that are being developed. Uh, of course, as I said, it's still a work in progress. Ma plans to tune the AI further and to introduce a, a wider spectrum of poses. So, of course, that gives you more natural images mm. and also to improve its ability to repose the subject more naturally against the the image's background because that's where you do end up with a lot of artefacts because you're superimposed unnaturally back into the original scene. In, in what sense? Well, I'm not sure if you've been playing with any design tools recently, um, but Adobe and apps like Canva, I think, are introducing AI-powered beta systems that can strip out the background of a photo automatically uh, and allow you to replace it with some something else without any of that complicated uh, edging and cutting that you used to have to do to superimpose yourself into an image. So again, we're moving to that situation where we can generate these realistic photos of ourselves in any location or situation. Okay, uh, when we come back, an AI that can teach doctors uh, to make better decisions. Uh, you're listening to MSP here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Boyish 40-something millionaires. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to MSP, episode 134, I believe. Science is it slick. It is, yes. It is, right? 134. Science is slick. That's the topic we're talking about on MSP today. And uh, some say there's no one slicker than Matt Armitage. Uh, positively greasy, I've been told, um, mostly by Jeff Sandu, which <laughs> is why he's not around anymore. Um <laughs> I think we were going to talk a bit more about uh, AI. So That's this right. time I've got a, a medical or a mostly medical application. So we've talked before about the power of uh, uh, AI and humans actually working together because humans are great at lateral thinking, you know, making those non-linear jumps, while mm. AI is great at crunching and harnessing the power of data sets. So we've mentioned the idea of human AI teams, especially in uh, things like medicine. Uh, because of the sheer volume of cases and potential illnesses. 
Well, yeah, you know, for all the skill of medics, there's an element of luck in getting things prescribed uh, correctly first time, especially with, uh, or, or rather especially for frontliners like uh, general practitioners or doctors in emergency rooms. Mm. So it's quite easy to diagnose a cold, for example, but you're relying on the doctor's knowledge and memory to a large extent for diseases that are more obscure. An AI could help by identifying what the likely matches of a patient's symptoms are, allowing the doctor to narrow things down a lot more quickly and a lot more efficiently, especially when there is that, you know, critical treatment need. You um, almost sound like you know what you're talking about. Trust me, I've met a doctor. Um, (laughs) So the Ever clever folks at uh, MIT have come up with a new system with uh, uh, medical applications as well as potential to help social media content moderators, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, It essentially learns the biases of the practitioner. It learns Mm -hmm. their strengths. It learns their weaknesses. And that allows the two of them to become a lot more collaborative. So the AI learns to trust or or defer in machine terms to the human part of the team. And that enables them to come up uh, or or rather come to a decision or an effective outcome a lot faster than previous attempts to do this kind of task. Is it uh, anywhere near ready to be deployed? Well, MIT's uh, Science and AI lab, uh, CSAIL, is currently testing it in various scenarios. So it's been used effectively for tasks like uh, hate speech detection. So we might see it in uh, some of our uh, social media operations. Mm. Uh, Medical decisions are a lot more complex and life-altering. So obviously there's still more work to do there. But to use MIT Tech Review's example, in the future it could be used to help in prescribing drugs. So it could be used to more effectively select the correct antibiotics by looking at the doctor's history and adapting to their uh, prescribing behaviour. So the doctor might have a history of under or over prescribing broad spectrum antibiotics rather than targeted ones for example. Mm. So the system can then alert the doctor that the prescription may not be the optimal one for that patient and to adjust. Uh, And it can also detect where there may be uh, that hidden information we mentioned earlier. There might be incomplete patient records or information that doesn't match, you know, things that could actually influence the doctor's decision. Are we sticking with the human body? Uh, We are uh, until such time that I'm able to transfer my consciousness into my true android body and throw this restrictive meat bag into a furnace. (laughs) Um, Would you prefer obesity or dementia? Um, Given a choice? Uh, Neither. Uh, Dementia it is then. Um, uh, A new review published in the medical journal The Lancet uh, outlines a potential for people to prevent or slow the progress of dementia. Now, while some are quite obvious, um, the authors believe that if you can tick off all 12 of these lifestyle behaviours, it could lead to as much as a a reduction or a delay in dementia cases by as much as 40%. What what do they mean by delay? Well, people are living uh, longer and longer, uh, sorry, longer and longer. Uh, Dementia is a degenerative disease. Now, obviously, I've got some kind of degenerative disease, if I can't say longer and longer. Mm. Uh, The longer you live, the more likely you are to see conditions like this occurring. But uh, for most of us, if we can do enough to put the dementia off until we're 100, you know, that's 
probably good enough. So the 12 indicators or factors are things like stopping smoking, uh, reducing alcohol consumption to moderate or low levels. Uh, some of the things are linked, things like you know high blood pressure, diabetes and obesity. All of those things increase the risk of dementia, as does uh, depression. One that was a surprise to me was hearing loss. So if you do have hearing loss, apparently using a hearing aid can actually reduce your dementia risk. Uh, others are things that we've long known, uh, eating healthily, keeping your mind and body fit and active, and of course, socialising regularly. Uh, and how are you doing with that list? Well, socialising and crisps are my uh, Achilles heels. <laughs> um, too little of one and too much of the other, and definitely the wrong way around. Uh, it also says to avoid activities that can lead to head injury. Uh, I've pretty much lost count of the number of head injuries I've had. Um, I actually started wearing peaked caps so that I would get a, a microseconds warning before I banged my head on doors, sides, uh, cupboards. Uh, pretty much you name it, my head has collided with it. Uh, then there are factors like exposure to air pollution that are a lot more difficult for us to control individually. Mm. Now, the doctors who compiled the review also pointed out that generally healthier lifestyles in high-income countries may correlate with a reduction in the incidence of the disease in those countries. So they're urging that uh, uh, preventive campaigns be staged in lower and middle-income countries where dementia rates are, are higher and are not yet declining. Um, let's stick with the uh, education part. Isn't it more difficult to learn as you get older? Well, maybe not as hard as some folks assume. Um, how's your vagus nerve? Well, I'm hoping it's still there and, and functioning pretty well. Um, you know, it, it seems to be connecting okay to my, the rest of my uh, nerves. I, I don't think you'd be doing a lot if you didn't have it operating right. anymore. Um, it's actually, uh, uh, the, well, the vagus nerve, it's a, a pretty important group of cranial nerves that uh, wander through the body and help to control the heart, the lungs, and our digestive uh, See, I do have some kind of uh, degenerative <laughs> disease. I can't say digestive tract. Um, the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the autonomic nervous system, uh, according to Wikipedia. It also has a critical role in speech and hearing and by consequence in, in learning. So we're often told that it's much more difficult to learn languages in later life, but there may be a way to make it easier. Uh, researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, have come up with a non-surgical way to stimulate the vagus nerve and enhance the way we learn. Is this similar to uh, existing treatments for epilepsy? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, vagus nerve stimulation isn't new. As you mentioned, we've used it to uh, treat conditions like epilepsy for a couple of decades now, but mm. that has usually involved surgery to implant electrodes in the base of the neck. Uh, that may be a bit too invasive if you're only looking to brush up on your Spanish. So the team has come up with uh, an earbud-style device, you know, like headphones, and the wearer isn't even aware that the nerve is being stimulated. There's no physical sensation. Uh, so far, they tested a small study group of 36 volunteers who were then asked to listen to words in Mandarin, uh, English speakers, obviously. Uh, the researchers found that those that received the stimulation showed an average of 13% improvement in their recognition of the tones. 13% uh, might not be enough to sway a lot of people, though. Um, 
certainly we're we're not in you know double all your money back style territory but they did find that uh, the subjects receiving the stimulation uh, were twice as fast in uh, getting to that point of peak mental awareness and because the vagus nerve also has a role in speech the researchers are now looking into whether the device can help people to form new vocal sounds more easily and thus make it easier for people to learn non-complementary languages where the tones themselves are quite alien. So, as the example before, for English speakers to learn Mandarin and Mandarin speakers to learn English. Okay, and now I believe for something completely different. Uh, Thank you, Monty. Um, Clothes, uh, still about people, I suppose. it's kind of an odd time to be uh, talking about clothes. I was actually complaining to a friend at the uh, the weekend. A cat friend? Uh, no, an actual human one. Oh. Um, I, I was complaining that most of my clothes and shoes have just been sitting there for the last few months. You know, I've been wearing the same handful of uh, pairs of shorts and T-shirts for months and months now to the point where, you know, they're now so overwashed that they're pretty much uh, game over but some people do still need plenty of clothes uh, particularly clothes that are waterproof and oil resistant don't we have those already though yes uh, but many clothes are treated with what are called uh, perfluorinated compounds to become liquid repellent see i can say perfluorinated but (laughs) i can't say digestive Uh, and those chemicals don't biodegrade easily and can be harmful to the environment so the search has been on to find more sustainable and eco-conscious ways to make protective gear and the solution is actually really really clever a chemical solution Ah, a chemistry solution rather than a liquid that you pour on. Uh, But researchers at Canada's University of British Columbia have devised a series of equations that relate a fabric structure and its surface chemistry against its ability to repel oils. According to new scientists, those equations can be used to match the fabrics with a specific silicon coating that water and oil proofs the fabric. Now, it might sound like a lot of fuss, but the perfluorinated compounds themselves, uh, even even with those, there's no one-size-fits-all approach because each fabric is different. Uh, The silicon is a lot more eco-friendly, so now we just have to see how durable the new coatings are and we won't have to worry so much about whether our clothes are killing the planet while they keep us dry. Um, Anything a bit more uh, jolly to take us out with? Okay, that last story was a little dry. No? Okay, don't all cheer at once. Um, Recently, Nintendo announced a collaboration with Lego to produce a series of Super Mario-themed sets. Now, none of that is new or unusual. We've seen plenty of movie and game tie-ins with the company over the years. What's different is that Nintendo and Lego work together to make the sets truly playable. Are these for adults or, or kids? A lot of these tie-ups uh, stretch the, you know, the definition of toys. Well, I think definitely both. You can recreate your favourite levels from the games and the Mario character is smart in that it recognises sections of the level so that you bounce him around the course and he reacts as he would in the game uh, thanks to these little QR code-like thingamajigs that are spread all over the place. So Mario will also recognise the characters that he's interacting with or being attacked by. So with a lot of these, you know, tie-in sets, the fun kind of stops when you finish the building part Mm. nintendo wanted to make sure that the building was only the start of the fun so there are loads of 
expansion packs to keep the fun and, of course, the cash rolling. Uh, Lego has always been about the, the play experience. So this is definitely the way forward, I think, for this kind of collaborative project, because often we just end up with shelves full of models gathering dust. This is something that genuinely adds to the game experience you know uh, and everything that you love about the, the characters. So for me, you know, that's science being slick. Thank you very much, Matt. For transcripts of these shows, head over to culturepop.com or follow culturepop on Instagram at culturepop. There you go. You've been listening to MSP episode 134, Science is Slick. Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.